going to ask you to open your Bible with me, if you would, to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. So this evening, uh, we'll begin looking at 1 Corinthians, uh, and the, under the series, um, one chapter, one sermon. But we're not starting yet tonight, so just, just so you know, this is not, not the beginning of one chapter, one sermon. This is introductory thoughts. I have found that <laughs> the way around one chapter, one sermon is introductory thoughts and summaries and things like that. So, uh, so I maintain that we're, we're holding to the one chapter, one sermon uh, when we actually do the chapter. But we might talk a little bit about the book in different ways as we're going through it. Um, let's pray. Father, Lord, thy word is quick and powerful. And it does not need my help. It doesn't need any of our help. Lord, you've truly convicted me to uh, not preach cleverly crafted sermons, but to just open up your word and then to uh, allow you to pour through me that which you have made precious to me in time of study. Lord, you care. You love your people. Lord, you love this whole world. I'm confident if you could just sit everybody in America down together You would tell them, I love you, and it doesn't have to be like this. It doesn't have to be divisiveness. There doesn't have to be hurt and anger and frustration. And there, above all, there doesn't have to be selfishness. Lord, it would appear to me that um, that largely uh, there's very little listening to you going on in this nation. Perhaps even in the lives of many of your children, there's not enough recognizing what we're going to study, what, what you're going to bring out in 1 Corinthians, and that is that you are the absolute Lord, and we need you to be. We need to understand why 1 Corinthians follows Romans, how they go together, how 2 Corinthians helps us to tie the two of them together, and what this means for the baby Christian, how we have a complete Savior, a complete salvation, but that this complete Savior is also our Lord. Lord, it is important to us that we understand that you are Lord, that we desire it, that we recognize that our flesh does not desire this, but that if we're going to serve you, if we're going to serve you together, we're going to have to submit together to the fact that you are Lord. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a good Lord, that you are a loving Lord, that you are a gracious Lord, but you are nevertheless the almighty Lord of all. You are the King of kings, and you are the Lord of lords. And Lord, help us now and bless us as we look at these things together for a few minutes tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to read a little bit, and you can follow along as I read. Uh, I may read, in fact, I'm probably going to read all of chapter 1. And again, if if you listen... Uh, what you're going to find, we're not going to talk in numbers or anything like that. We're not really going to talk the, much of the preliminary information tonight. But if you'll listen as we read through this and keep in mind that the word Lord occurs more times in this epistle than any other epistle by far. First uh, Corinthians is the full mention of the Lordship of Christ as God is explaining to us our salvation. In the last book that we just were studying through in Romans, we saw that we have a complete salvation because we have a complete Savior. 
And what we're going to find in the Corinthian church, this is really important, please hear me. What we're going to find in the Corinthian church is this. Jesus is a complete Savior to the Corinthians. We're going to see as we go through chapter, well, all of the book, but we're going to see as we go through Corinthians that the people in Corinth that went to church at the church at Corinth, that many of them, most of them, were born again. They were new creatures. But they were doing what they wanted to do. They basically allowed for their forgiveness to allow them to do whatever it is that they wanted to do because, well, I'm going to heaven when I die. And, and, and all of the Corinthians that were born again are in heaven. They, they were going to heaven when they died. But they were not particularly useful as a church. By the way, Corinth is a port city. It's a wealthy city. The Corinthian church appears to be, in our Bible, perhaps the wealthiest church in our Bible. The church at Corinth was very, very, very wealthy and very, very capable if they would make good use of the wealth that God had given them. But as we're going to find, the, the, the book of 1 Corinthians can almost be said to be a book that's best taught as a how not to live the Christian life. But it isn't really taught that way. Although what you'll realize as we go from chapter to chapter is, wow, did they do anything right? And the answer is no, not much. But here's the real problem. We're more like the Corinthian church in our heart than we are the other churches. It's like wanting to be like Daniel, right? Or Joseph. I want to be like Joseph. Why am I like Peter instead? You understand what I'm saying? And again, if we'll be honest, if you'll be honest, if I'll be honest, if we'll be honest, I believe that God is going to, I believe that what God is doing in our church family is causing many of you to understand the benefit and the blessedness of the Lordship of Christ in your life. How it is not a burden to submit to Jesus at all. Not even a little bit is a burden to submit to Jesus. That we are glad to be bond slaves, if you understand. No, no, I want you to rule in my life, Lord Jesus. I truly want you to rule. I want you not only to rule, I want you to overrule. When I would seek to rule, I want you to step across my path and say, remember when you asked me to do this? Well, I'm doing this. One of the things that I remember as a young Christian praying a great deal, my wife will testify, my family will testify to this, is Lord I want you to have complete control of my life. And tomorrow, when I go back on this, I want you to have complete control of my life anyway. In other words, I give you full permission to be everything that I need you to be when I start being a goofball. When I start choosing my way instead of your way, I need you to do everything within your power to cause me to be pulled up short and to say I need to submit to God. Now, here's the truth. The truth is that God will never that God will never force you to do anything. It would be wrong. Is God strong enough spiritually? Is God strong enough to overwhelm you and force you to do things? He is. But we have a word for that. If somebody makes you do something that you don't want to do, we have a different words in our laws for that. And they're not good words because it's not right that someone who's stronger than you should force you to do something that you don't want to do. And so God will not force you to do anything. Even as his child, he won't force you to do anything. But one of the things that I learned as a younger Christian is, but he can make you want to. And he can make you sad that you don't, if you understand what I'm saying. And I'm glad that he can. He's a better father than we are. He's more capable than we are. And he's far more loving than we are. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. And Sosthenes, 
our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. Notice this, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was also confirmed, excuse me, who, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom ye were called under the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I beseech ye, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now, this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I have baptized in my own name. And I baptize also the household of Stephanus, and besides, I know not whether I baptize any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Listen to this. Not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, 
Not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the things that are wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. This is the title of our time together tonight. The message this evening that the Lord has laid upon my heart is glory in the Lord. Glory in the Lord. And it comes from this verse here at the end, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Now, we, as we read through this, what you can recognize here is that what God is, I think, making very simply clear is this. You're better off simply trusting God than putting any confidence in anything else. Um, I know I'm pretty confident that we have shared in the past um, that my son Andrew, who's you know, going to school at EVMS, uh, and many of us have family members that are in the medical field. And at one point, um, one of uh, the um, uh, doctors that Andrew was working with, they were talking about something, and Andrew brought up the order, the order of God in what they were at it out loud. And the person that was working with him, he said, uh, Andrew, you're too smart to believe in creation. And Andrew responds, uh, actually, no, when he called them by their first name, you're too smart not to. And how we can look at the things that we look at day after day after day and not see how much order there is in all of this. I, I, it puzzles me. It truly puzzles me. Somebody posted, and I don't know if it's accurate or not, one of the difficulties with things that get posted is so often... They're just not accurate things. But it was basically a picture of a guy, and it said, uh, I won't eat eggs because they're just unborn baby chickens, and that would be wrong, but supports abortion because that's just a bunch of cells. And I thought, well, I don't know if this particular thing is true or not, but this is the reasoning behind what we would call a, a vegan lifestyle. It's like, oh, you can't do this. You can't eat any, anything that has eyes. But the same people that are so strict about what they would put into their mouth are comfortable with destroying uh, babies in the womb, which just seems absurd. Is this, am I the only one that that seems absurd to? Yeah? I mean, it just seems truly absurd to me. I mean, again, again, this is a completely different position than I would have held on this before I was saved. Before I was saved, I did not view this this way at all. But as soon as I was saved, I realized that we're talking about life, right? And we're talking about a created being whose life is being destroyed for nothing other than the convenience of the people who are destroying it. And again, I'm not here to, to fight or to argue with you about these things. The point that I'm making is 
we need to recognize that we're not as smart as we think we are. And what I mean by that, you know, you know, um, did anybody notice, was it last week that the CDC came out and said, it doesn't appear that you can get the coronavirus off surfaces like we thought that you could. It's like, it's been two months. How did, I mean, again, how did you not figure this out earlier? This is pretty important stuff, if you understand what I'm saying. And, and I'm not, and again, I'm not I'm confident. I mean, again, you know, what Andrew is doing is going to for this exact kind of a thing. And I'm confident that the people that are educated, well-trained people, but sometimes I wonder, where is our common sense? Where is our dependency upon the God? That we, you know, I mean, you know, Dr. Lucy, you know, he's, do we want our doctors to be educated? We do. You know, I remember we had a doctor who was responsible, uh, part of the delivery of our son, Chris, and his bedside manner was not great, not horrible. My wife said horrible. And I remember her saying, he was not in the room, and I remember her saying, I don't like him. I don't want him to be our doctor anymore. And my response was, he seems like a great doctor. And she said, what do you mean? I said, he seems to really understand what's going on. And she said, yes, but he's not very nice. And I said, I don't even care if he's nice. I want him to be smart. I want him to understand what he's doing. Now, I appreciate that she wanted him to be nice, but I really wanted Chris to survive. I mean, we were going through a very difficult time. We thought we might lose Chris. And I just wanted the, I mean, I trusted that what we really need is a really brilliant doctor and not somebody who's just got a great bedside manner, if you understand what I'm saying. But you can be a brilliant person and know that there's a great God. You understand? You can be completely fully educated in whatever, the, whatever field God has called you to labor in. You can be one of the best in that field and trust in God at the same time. The Corinthians, you, you'll hear as we go through this, as we're going through this, what you realize is that they have a difficulty with who's better, right? Let's go to verse, let's go to, uh, um, verse 12. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, meaning that Paul was instrumental in my salvation and or my growth. And I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. But notice what he says in verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then he goes on to say, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. By the way, anybody who believes in baptismal regeneration, that's a very strange statement. He's glad that he didn't baptize anybody. Well, if baptism was necessary to your, to your salvation, he would not say that. In fact, if baptism was necessary to your salvation, he would have made sure he baptized everybody that he knew that trusted in Christ. But baptism isn't necessary to your salvation. It is a step of obedience. And you should say yes to baptism. Again, it is a picture of something that's happened, wonderfully happened in your life. But the point that he's making is this. Why, why are you fussing? as if Apollos is better than Paul or Cephas is better than uh, Apollos. Why would, you, why would that be the point? And here's the whole point, and it's at the end of the chapter, right? Here's what it says at the end of the chapter. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. What is it that you should boast about? What, what should Jesus? And by the way, it doesn't say, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Christ. It could say, why does it say he? in the because what that does is it demonstrates a need for us to brag about him but to submit to him and so really my, my question for you as we begin this study in, in Corinthians as we do this together going forward are you saying yes 
to the lordship of Christ in your life? Is he an absolute Lord in your life? Uh, Dr. Sells used to say this, and it really is a real, and I'm not sure if it was unique to him. I'm not sure if he was the first one, but he's where I heard it said. And that is this, if Christ is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. Let me say that again. If in your life, Christ is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. You know who is? You. Yes? Do you understand understand how significant that is? If Christ is Lord of much of your life, who decided what parts he's not Lord of? You did. So who's Lord? You are. So you're not your own. You were bought with a price. First, First of all, he just purchased you. But here's the good news. He wants you to willingly submit to him. Let's, uh, let's look at a passage that I think might be very helpful in this. Let's go back to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We just studied this together. It's very pertinent to what we're looking at. We just studied. Those of us that are doing the uh, normal Christian life study together, we, a few chapters ago we were looking at this truth. Go to verse 11. Romans 6, 11. Well, we can go back to verse 10. For in that he died, our Lord Jesus, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Amen. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace." What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Listen to this. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servant ye are of whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Now, I'm going to, listen, I'm going to stop here, and I'm going to take advantage of the fact that we have these stairs right here. This has really helped me a great deal. Now, the word yield here is a really important word. And I know we've talked about it. We just talked about it in the study on Tuesday night. So the word word behind the English word yield, the Greek word, is really a compound word. And what it actually means, and listen, means to stand by attentively. To stand by attentively. Basically like this. And we've seen it. Again, I, I make reference to Doubt and Abbey, right? So anybody ever watch Doubt and Abbey? So, so the people in the room that are standing like this, and what are they waiting for? What are they waiting for? And the answer is whatever, right? They're just waiting for whatever. When one of the people who have leadership say to them, I need you to go get coffee or tea, probably tea in England, right? I need you to go get some tea. What do they do? They go do that. They're just standing by waiting to be told what to do. Now, what the passage here says in in Romans is this. Don't yield to sin anymore. So here's what's happening. And this is really important. In your life, as a new creature, in your life, you're standing in your life, and the Lord Jesus is here, 
And sin, or your old man, is also here. And they can both, you're within speaking distance of both of them. But who can command you? Who do you listen to? So if your flesh says, blah, 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 and he can, and he does, and he whines, and he fusses, and he even commands, puts his little foot down. I said, blah, blah, blah. And you say, I'm dead. I'm dead. I don't do those things anymore. I don't have to listen to you anymore. I'm free from you now. But when the Lord Jesus speaks, we say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Right? I'm just standing by. This is such a tremendous truth. And, and the translation here is such an, such an incredibly accurate translation. Because what it's saying is this. The voice will still speak to you. Your flesh will still speak to you. Don't listen to it anymore. Don't listen to it. Say to your flesh, you're dead. You couldn't be fixed. This is why you're dead. Bad ideas like this one. This is why you don't command me anymore. Lord, what would you have me to do instead? You know, I remember, I, you know, one of the things that's critically important to all of your lives is, Lord, what would you have me to do next? Often in big picture ways in our life. Now, let me say this. If you're not going to say yes to the Lord in little things, what makes you really think you're going to say yes to the Lord in big things? So say yes to the Lord in little things. Let him be your Lord. Let him be the one that directs your life. But here's the thing. Lord, what would you have me to do? And here's the good news. When he wants you to... Glenn says this a lot. It's been so helpful in my, for so many years of my life. Lord, please make this so clear that even I can't miss it. As you lead me, lead me in such a way that it's so clear that even I can't miss it. But I want you to picture, you know, if I had Ronnie Jacobs come up and write you, know, Ronnie, because I'm already looking on this side, you're going to have to be my flesh. And if I have John come up, I'm not going to ask you guys to do this. John come up and he comes over and he, he, he represents the Lord Jesus Christ. How hard is it for me to hear what John wants me to do? Honestly, how hard is it for me to hear? Isn't it remarkable how people say, I'm searching for the will of God for my life? And I think to myself, well, just ask him. Right? Right? He, you, know, you know, James Sanders loves puzzles. I, I, I love puzzles. I used to love them more. My brain's not as good as it used to be. I, God doesn't want you to have to figure out a puzzle to know the next step. He just wants you to listen. Isn't that what we're seeing? Isn't that what we're seeing in Corinthians? What he's saying, what, what's being said in Corinthians is this. Look, people who are rich, people who are powerful, people who are incredibly intelligent, there are not a lot of those that follow the Lord Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Now, he even explains why that's true. And here's why. It isn't that you can't be smart and follow Jesus. It's just it appears that people who are smart are caught up in being smart, right? People who are capable or powerful, influential, are caught up in being influential, and they would think that it was their ability that was causing them to be successful in what it was that God was calling them to do. And it's not true. Right, John? I mean, what we look, Assyria. Who's more powerful than Assyria? And the answer is, well, right now, almost everybody. But who was more powerful than Assyria when they were powerful? And the answer was nobody. For hundreds of years, nobody was as powerful as Assyria. Going up against Assyria was a tragic mistake militarily because they were so capable and so powerful. But as God says, you are just, a, literally, you are just a tool in my hand. You are nothing in and of yourself. Are you gifted? Are you capable? Are you naturally gifted? We were talking about the fact, somebody, um, uh, Mike, Mike Drury and I are standing outside 
talking about Drew Davis and some work that he's done at some of your houses and how it appears that Drew Davis is capable. You know, for a long time, we've known that Glenn Mongold is incredibly capable. Sam Button is incredible. I'm just about talking about carpentry now. Incredibly capable. We recognize this. But being incredibly capable is not a problem if you have the humility to be able to be humble while you're capable. There's nothing wrong with being able There's something wrong in looking to your sufficiency. And there's something tragically wrong with, this is the, this is the, I think this might be one of the greatest failures in all of American Christianity, at least in Baptist churches I found as I've traveled around. And that is that much of the time, the leadership in the church is the leadership of the church. In other words, mostly I'm talking about deacons. Deacons are deacons in the church because somehow they're financially capable. And that's absurd to me. What are the qualifications for a deacon? And the answer is spiritual qualifications, right? Who do we want to be in positions of leadership in the church, making decisions for the church? And the answer is people who are close to Jesus, right? People who are leaning on the lordship of Christ. That's who we want. You know, later on in, in Corinthians, it's going to say, you guys go to, go to literally go to war and, I mean, excuse me, to law against each other in front of unbelievers and let them decide things. Why can't you just talk about it together at the church? Is there nobody wise enough in your church to talk about this? Can't this be figured out and worked out? And the answer is it could. Because you want to know why it could? Because Jesus has made, made unto us wisdom. And he knows what, isn't, I mean, oh, how wonderful it is that we can together recognize that the Lord Jesus is capable of leading each and every one of us. I want to read just a little bit more. It says in verse 17, I love verse 17 of us, of uh, Romans chapter 6. That's what it says. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Isn't that amazing? Do you remember when you believed? I remember when I believed. And you know what the Bible says about that? Thank God. Isn't that what said? But God be thanked. Why not the preacher be thanked? Why not you be thanked? Because if God didn't do it, it wouldn't have got done. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. You used to yield yourself to sin. But what happened is one day, here's what it says, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Is the preaching of the gospel able? Oh, yes, it is. All by itself. You know what changed my life? The gospel changed my life. The word of God changed my life. The preaching of the word of God caused me to see the Lord Jesus Christ as he actually is, and that saved me. Amen? Amen. Isn't that wonderful? That's what happened all of our life. There's not a person here that's truly born again that was not saved by the word of God. Nobody in here was saved by how they felt or, how, or somebody's ability to persuade or act now or, or you know, don't get your Ginsu knives. You know what I'm saying? None of that. None of that. And by the way, it really bothers me when people pressure people into making a decision for Christ. Listen, wild horses could not keep you from getting saved when you're going to get saved. If I have to lean on you to get saved, you're not getting saved. I'm just persuading you to do what I want you to do. That's not the same thing. Do you understand? It says, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. The gospel was preached, and I am not ashamed, right, earlier in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. All by itself, the word of God is the power of God unto salvation. 
But here's the good news. It's the same word of God that made you new that's going to continue to make you grow and going to cause you to understand, you're right, Lord, I am Lord in this area. I remember the way Dr. Parker used to say it, and, that was, and it was helpful to me, is, uh, and he was quoting somebody else, but the way he used to say it, it was really helpful to me. I don't think I have any keys in my pocket. I don't like to carry keys in my pocket. Basically, the point he was making was in, in our houses, we have many rooms, and we are comfortable giving the Lord Jesus the keys to all the rooms in our life, except maybe one or two. It's like, Lord, you can have complete control over all of these rooms, rooms, these rooms in my house, but I'm going to keep these two keys here. I don't think you ought to go in those rooms. Why is that true? Why do we do that? And the answer is because he's not Lord of those areas of our life. And, and, and this is where Dr. Sells would say, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. You've got to take out all the keys and you've got to put them down. And you're going to say, every room in my life, Lord, go in. And here's the, one, here's the remarkable thing. When you do that, guess what, key, well, guess what key is going to pick up? One of the two that you've been holding. And he's going to say, good, let's go into this room. And you're probably going to have to walk in behind him weeping. And say, oh, Lord, this is the room. And he's going to say, it is a mess. But not anymore, because now I'm Lord in this room and not you anymore. Isn't that wonderful? This is, this is, this is where your glory is. This is where your boasting is. When there's victory in your life, you didn't bring this victory. I didn't bring this victory. We didn't bring this victory. Jesus brought this victory. And he has to have all the keys. You got to let him have all the keys. Um, Especially the throne room, right? The throne room. It's like, oh, I didn't know that room existed, Lord. Imagine that. I didn't somehow give you the key to that room. You know what I'm saying? You got to give him the key to the throne room. You look like an idiot sitting on your own throne. You act like an idiot sitting on your own throne. Let the Lord Jesus sit on the throne of your life. Again, you have, to, you have to give him the throne. You have to actually say, Lord, sit here, please. You deserve, you are Lord, you are Lord of Lords, but I need you to be Lord of Lords in my heart. I need you to be the one that's in control. Understand that he's going to use the things that are nothing, isn't it? I mean, let's go back. We'll go back to 1 Corinthians. This, this, this part of 1 Corinthians, I remember the first time I read it thinking, well, this is very insulting, Lord. I want you to go back with me. Verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh. And what that means is people with really high IQs, people who are actually very, very intelligent. Not many wise men after the flesh. Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things. Have you been chosen? (laughs) Guess which verse verse you're in. (laughs) But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base or lowly things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. And that's where we are. That's us. Put that one on your refrigerator, right? (laughs) How are you feeling about yourself this morning? Oh, not so good as I was a minute ago. I thought I was doing pretty well, but it appears that I am not. <laughs> and that's the phrase, right? The things which are not. No, I'm the are not. I'm one of the are nots to bring to not the things that are. Why? Because God does not need our might. God does not need our wisdom. He doesn't need our influence. You know, I've heard the phrase, and I'm sure you have, it wouldn't it be wonderful if so-and-so got saved because they would be so useful to God. And the answer is God does not need useful. 
God just needs submitted. Do you understand? He does not need mighty men. He does not need the governor. I'm not picking on our governor. He does not need the president. He does not need anybody. And the difficulty with people who have that positions like that, can presidents be saved? Yes, many of the presidents in our country have been born again. Can, 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 in other words, can you be born again and be in a position of great authority? You can, but you can't sit on the throne or you're of no value at all. And we really make the mistake as if the numbers mattered, if you understand what I'm saying, or the positions mattered. We're going to find out that the Corinthians were so far off that the Corinthians preachers and teachers were tremendously naturally gifted men who were not even born again. In other words, they would have people standing where I'm standing right now, doing what I'm doing right now, who weren't even born again, but were incredibly gifted speakers as if that was going to be helpful to them. It's not helpful to you. What matters is that the word of God be exalted. And we're going to end here. This is it. This is what really matters. Verse 29. How much flesh will glory in his presence ever? And the answer is, according to verse 29, no flesh will glory in his presence. No flesh. Was David a great king? It appears David was a man after God's own heart. David appears to truly have been a passionately lovingly tremendous servant of God. We were talking about it uh, yesterday morning. In our men's meeting yesterday morning, we were pointing out that while Solomon had the wisdom that he asked for, he had the wisdom to ask for wisdom, and he was given that wisdom, he doesn't seem to have the heart that David had. You understand what I'm saying? He's willing to do the things that God would have him to do exactly like they should be done. In fact, very, very well. But it isn't his agonizing desire. That's not his agonizing desire. And it has to be. Listen, please, I'm almost done. This is what matters. You have to want. You have to, you have to be boasting. Do you understand what that means? You know, we were joking about the fact Rick's not here. It's not as funny when Rick's not here. Uh, um, Ed Smith was, he wears a Steelers mask. And Rick May wears a Cleveland Browns mask. And I said, you know, make sure you don't get those masks too close to each other because, you know, that could be ugly. And, uh, and Ed Smith said, well, you know, if Rick makes a mistake and wears his mask upside down, then Cleveland could be in first place. When I grew up, I was a, well, I still am. When I grew up, I was a Red Sox fan, just like Daryl Moore. And uh, when, I, when I grew up, when I grew up, I grew up in, I grew up in, you know, I mean, I was a teenager in the, in the 70s and 80s. And there was a, listen, listen. And we would say there was a tremendous rivalry between the Red Sox and the Yankees. But Yankee fans would, see in order, would say, in order for there to be a rivalry, we would have had to have won sometime. And we didn't. But if you were a Red Sox fan, you still thought of it like, oh, yeah, we, we are just like the Yankees, except for they win almost every Right? But we're just like them. And you say, why are you bringing this up? Because... We have no idea how far away we are when we exalt ourselves from what we think we are. Do you understand? You know, honestly, if you ask me as a teenager, you know, how, you know, are the Yankees and the Red Sox equal? My answer is, well, the Red Sox are a little bit better. We just can't prove it on paper. Right? And, and, and honestly, if you ask Daryl, he would be like, well, you know, we feel, you know, pat us on the head. You know, we feel really sorry for those Red Sox fans, if you understand I mean, really, that's, that's it. But that's the way it is when you think highly of yourself. When you think highly of yourself, you have no idea what the gap is between you and God. You have no idea what the... We, honestly, I wonder sometimes whether we have any idea what the gap is between us and God. 
Job seems to have wrestled with the gap between him and God until the end of Job. At the end of Job, he said, what? I abhor myself. I now, see who you, I now see you as you are. I've heard of thee with the hearing of the ear, but now that I see you for who you are, man, was I wrong. We are not close at all. We are not close at all. This is what it says. But of him, but of God, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and redemption, excuse me, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ is all of these things for us. Praise God for that. In other words, I don't need to have my wisdom. I can be weak. I can be foolish. I can be base. I can be despised. And I can be the things which are not. I can be all those. Do you want to know why? Because Jesus isn't those things. And of God am I in Christ. Amen? I am just fine. Why? Because I'm in the Lord Jesus Christ and he's everything. And then it says right after that, that is, as it is written, he that glorieth, he that boasts, he that brags, let him glory in the Lord. This is where your boasting is. Again, I do truly, it is my desire. I think I can even say it's my expectation. It is my expectation as we go through 1 Corinthians that there will be many times when we, when we finish with our, with our look at a chapter that when you leave, you'll say to yourself, man, I'm more like the Corinthians than I thought I was. Isn't it wonderful of God that you're in Christ and that you can simply say, I want, Lord, I do want to only boast in how great you are. Now, I'm going I'm to end with this, but I want to say it this way. Please don't pretend to boast about Jesus. Do you know what boasting, and this, is, this goes back to what I was going to say about being, I really, really gloried in the Red Sox. I really, really felt strong. I was wrong, but I, was, I felt strongly about it. If you talk to me about it, I was all kinds of... Really, I didn't have to make it up. I didn't have to pretend. I really felt that strongly about it. And here's the thing. If you're having to make up or to pretend that Jesus is great, you don't know Jesus. You don't have to make up and pretend that Jesus is great. Jesus is great, right? You don't have to pretend Jesus is loving. Jesus is love. Do you understand? You don't have to pretend that he's almighty. Jesus is almighty. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. You don't have to pretend anything. You might need to get to know him. But he is all of these things. So again, open the word of God. Spend time with the God of the word. Say, just Father, just all you have to ask is this. Show me the truth that I might live it. And here's the truth. You are not, but you're in Christ. If you're born again, you are not. You are one of the things that are not but you're in Christ. And so he can use you to bring to naught the things that are. But when it happens, you won't boast, you won't brag, because you'll know I'm not. But he is. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us these few minutes together tonight. Lord, we thank you that you make it very clear, he that glorieth. Lord, we should glory. We have reason, we truly have reason to boast and to brag, but only about Jesus. And it's remarkable how humbling that is to us and to everybody around us. Lord, our glorying is not meant to be combative and argumentative. It is meant to be the loving overflow of what you're showing us in our hearts. Lord, it is our adoration for you that people should see, that we love you, trust you, 
know you to be good and great. Understand what you say from your word and trust you at your word and to, and to try you and to find out how wonderful you actually are in our lives. That we might with confidence say to everybody around us, let me, let me show you something that God has shown me from the word. Let me just, again, I'm not trying to be anybody. I'm not trying to prove anything. Let me just show you how wonderful Jesus is. But Lord, may our countenance Display that. May people see the joy in our faces, the gladness in our hearts. Lord, at a time like this, oh, how wonderful it is for everybody around us that they can see the love and peace and joy and godliness that's in Christ. That we could live with people around us not being combative, not being argumentative, not trying to have an opinion about this and about that. Just simply saying, really, I think it's simple. I think it's far simpler. It's humbling, but it's simple. Jesus is wonderful. We're not. We need him. He loves us all. Thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. Amen.